We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. Over the past decade, terrorists have killed an average of 21,000 people around the world each year. Global deaths from terrorism over the past decade have ranged from 8,000 in 2010 to a high of 44,000 in 2014. In 2017, terrorism was responsible for 0.05% of global deaths. 95% of terrorist deaths in 2017 were in the Middle East, Africa or Southeast Asia. In most Western countries, terrorism is the cause of less than 0.01% of deaths. In the West, there's widespread public concern about terrorism. More than half of people surveyed have said that they're worried that they might be a victim. The perception of just how much terrorism is really happening is grossly exaggerated in the West by our traditional media and the even more hysterical and politically driven social media. So what is the real ability of terrorism to seriously disrupt a population in a modern Western country? There's a great story on this exact topic in Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, with the subtitle of Underdogs, Misfits and the Art of Battling Giants. And that's what I'm going to be looking at in this Danger Zone program. In 1936, a movie was released called Things to Come. It was based on a novel by that brilliant science fiction writer H.G. Wells, famous for War of the Worlds. It was one of those movies that caught the imagination of the people in England at the time and set their fears ablaze. The message that resonated at the time was the part of the movie which, with the help of the stunning special effects of the day, showed a great city being pounded into rubble by enemy bombers in a global war that started in 1940, the exact year when World War II really exploded in the West, with the Germans conquering France, the Battle of Britain, and then the Blitz. The Blitz was the nightly German bombing of London and other cities in England between 7 September 1940 and 11 May 1941, when the German Air Force was redeployed to Eastern Europe for the German invasion of Russia. If the movie Things to Come wasn't real enough for you, on 26 April 1937, the following year, the German and Italian Air Forces, helping General Franco in his war against the Republican government in Spain, bombed the small Basque city of Guernica, in the afternoon. 
The first wave of aircraft dropped 550-pound bombs. Those bombs broke up the buildings. A second wave followed later, dropping incendiaries. With the buildings shattered, there was plenty of material that the incendiaries could catch fire with and spread rapidly. The incendiaries burned at 2,500 degrees Celsius. By evening, most of the buildings in Guernica were uninhabitable. The bombing of Guernica was an international outrage that was well covered by the press. The British public would have been well aware of this attack. The bombing was the subject of a massive painting by Picasso. In fact, Germany's capacity to bomb London, as seen in the movie Things to Come, was largely a figment of the British imagination, the result of a grave failure of intelligence gathering and interpretation. Still, it was a misconception about the power of the German air forces, which the Germans actively promoted in the hopes of cowering England so that it would, hopefully, surrender. The German Air Force was in fact made up of aircraft designed to work in coordination with their army. They didn't have a significant force of bombers that could blast into oblivion London or any other city. The Germans never had a plan to conduct air raids to destroy cities the way that the British were going to have when they built large numbers of bombers like the Lancaster with a massive load capacity to do exactly that to the German cities, utterly devastate them. Goering had threatened the British Foreign Minister, Arthur Henderson, that the Luftwaffe would leave little of London standing. That was a bluff. Still, the Germans did inflict very severe damage on London and other English cities. Undoubtedly, the worst destruction that had ever been wrought on any city from the air until that time. During the Battle of Britain in the early stages, the German air force, the Luftwaffe, was attacking only military and industrial targets. But on 24 August 1940, some German bombers accidentally dropped their bombs on the city of London. Winston Churchill ordered the RAF to do a retaliatory raid on Berlin that was carried out on the next night, the 25th of August. The British didn't have many bombers at that time that could reach Berlin, and those they had couldn't carry many bombs. 81 Wellington bombers and some Handley Page bombers were sent. Only about half found Berlin on a night when there was heavy cloud cover. It was a defiant gesture that killed no one in Berlin except for the unfortunate only elephant in the Berlin Zoo. There was little other damage. But this air raid provoked Hitler and Hermann Goering to begin regular attacks on London. Goering's famous boast that he lived many a long year to regret was that if just a single bomber got through to Berlin, his name would be Meyer, a Jewish name. Well, the British hadn't even really tried with this scratched-together raid. Much worse was to come. Winston Churchill described London as the greatest target in the world, a kind of tremendous fat 
valuable cow tied up to attract the beast of prey. The common understanding of people then was that the bomber would always get through any and every defence. A bit like the COVID-19 virus, the predictions of the dire consequences from the bombing attacks were absolutely terrifying. One of England's leading military experts at the time, Sir Basil Lytle Hart, predicted that in the first week of a bombing attack on London, there would be 250,000 civilian deaths and injuries. Churchill himself predicted that London, utterly defenceless in the face of such attacks, as all of the experts believed, would see three to four million people fleeing from the city to the country. A 1937 report issued by the British Military Command predicted that a sustained German bombing attack, which is exactly what the Germans launched in 1940, would leave 600,000 dead and 1.2 million wounded. There would be mass panic, it said. People would refuse to go to work. Industrial production would grind to a halt. The army wouldn't be able to resist the German invasion because it would be fully occupied in maintaining law and order in the face of the panicking civilian population. The government before the war had thought of building massive bomb shelters all across London, but it abandoned the idea because they were afraid that the people who took refuge in those bomb shelters would be so terrified that they wouldn't come out again. Psychiatric hospitals were built and staffed outside London to cope with a flood of people who would break down under the intense pressure of bombing. On 7 September 1940, the intense bombing of London began. The Germans were coming, and with lethal force. Now the government would find out whether this was the beginning of the end of the world as they knew it. On 7 September 1940 to 11 May 1941, and over 57 consecutive nights at the start of the air raids, German bombers attacked London. Tens of thousands of high-explosive bombs were dropped on the city, and over one million incendiaries. 
In London's East End, whole neighbourhoods were laid waste. It was everything that the government had expected in the way of destruction. But what they didn't expect was the reaction of the people to it. It wasn't what had been predicted. As the German bombing attacks grew heavier and heavier, not only did Londoners not panic, not just show incredible courage, but most unexpectedly, they became indifferent to the raids. Malcolm Gladwell tells us that one psychiatrist wrote about his surprise to the effect of the air raids just after the end of the war, not at what the bombs and incendiaries did to the buildings and infrastructure, which was obviously going to happen, but to the effect the bombing had on the people. He wrote, Every hundred yards or so, it seemed, there was a bomb crater or wreckage of what had been once a house or a shop. The siren blew its warning, and I looked to see what would happen. A nun seized the hand of a child she was escorting and hurried on. She and I seemed to be the only ones who had heard the warning. Small boys continued to play all over the pavements. Shoppers went on haggling. A policeman directed traffic in majestic boredom. And the bicyclists defied death and the traffic laws. No one, so far as I could see, even looked into the sky. Londoners recorded in their diaries their experience of the Blitz. One wrote, When the siren first sounded, I took my children to our dugout in the garden, and I was quite certain we were all going to be killed. Then the all-clear went, without anything having happened. Ever since we came out of the dugout, I have felt sure nothing would ever hurt us. Another young woman, whose house was shaken by a nearby explosion, wrote, I lay there feeling indescribably happy and triumphant. I've been bombed, I kept on saying to myself, over and over again, trying the phrase on like a new dress, to see how it fitted. I've been bombed. I've been bombed, me. It seems a terrible thing to say when many people were killed and injured last night, but never in my whole life have I ever experienced such pure and flawless happiness. Once the German bombing became part of the routine of the Londoners, they just got on with life. Whatever destruction there was, was just worked around and lived with. The psychiatric hospitals, built on the outskirts of London, had no customers. They were changed over to surgical hospitals to treat the injured. Why did people of London react this way? A study was, of course, done. I'll tell you what it found after Peggy Lee gives us what was a typical reaction of Londoners who the Germans were trying to bomb into submission because they could no longer stand the terror after the Germans had done their worst. A Canadian psychiatrist, John T. McCurdy, 
published a book in 1943 about what to make of the impact of terror bombing on London during World War II called The Structure of Morale. McCurdy found that the bombing of cities had an unanticipated effect. To understand that effect, he broke people in the city up into three classes. The first were those people killed by the bombing. Their deaths were only relevant so far as the impact they had on their loved ones and friends and those around them. Then there were the people who had suffered near misses. These people experienced consequences ranging from being injured by the bombing to being close enough to an exploding bomb to be in fear of their lives. McCurdy described these people as being deeply impressed. What an understated way to refer to your experience of nearly being killed by a bomb. By deeply impressed, he meant their fear of the continuing bombing was increased. They suffered what he called shock from the bombing, including being dazed, stupefied by the impact of the shock wave of the blast. They became jumpy. These people exhibited the sort of impact that it was expected that the bombing of civilians in cities would have. The expectation was that this sort of reaction would affect everyone in the city. People that weren't directly affected by the blast would still be affected by the fact that this was happening all over the city and they could be randomly affected at any time. Everyone expected that after the ones nearly killed by the bombs, everyone else would have a similar negative feeling about the bombing, just on a diminishing scale. But that wasn't the way it happened. Those people were in McCurdy's third category, people who were impacted by what he called remote misses. These included people who heard the air raid sirens, saw the enemy bombers flying overhead, and heard the bombs going off. These people reacted in a way that the politicians and other so-called experts didn't anticipate. In fact, their reaction was the exact opposite to what was anticipated. The first time, they survived uninjured. Then the second time, the third time, and every other time after that, that they had this experience of being in an air raid, they had a feeling of excitement, not terror, of invulnerability. A near miss traumatised people. A remote miss made them feel invincible. This feeling was captured in the classic response that one middle-aged labourer in a button factory gave when he was asked if he wanted to be evacuated from London to the countryside to safety. He and his wife had been bombed out of their house twice, but each time they came through it unscratched. His answer to the idea of being evacuated to a safe place was, What? And miss all this? Not for all the good in China. There's never been nothing like it. Never. And never will be again. Ironically, maybe to boost the morale of the people on the home front, Britain started a massive bombing offensive against Germany, which ended up as being mostly terror raids on cities. Payback. 
there were a lot of benefits for the war effort that came from this. But the British government, bizarrely, had some sort of expectation that while the British people didn't crumble under this pressure, the Germans would. Not made of the right stuff. Hitler's Luftwaffe adjutant throughout the war, Nicholas von Bierlau, reported the same response from the German people to the bombing that the English people had. He wrote in his memoirs, The increasing British bombing of German cities was a warning of the gradual deterioration in the overall situation. The entire population now formed a front line. I was amazed at how calmly the people accepted these fearsome air raids. For their part, the British no doubt imagined that civilian morale would be broken in this manner. But the air offensive against civilians and residential districts did not bring them the desired success. So today, modern Islamic terrorists, unmindful it seems, of the lessons of the terror bombing campaigns conducted before and all through World War II, commit terrorist acts in the West vastly more infrequently than the civilians suffered bombing attacks on Britain, Germany and Japan during World War II, and yet against all their religious hopes and expectations of collapsing the morale of the West, the lessons of World War II show the exact opposite. Their horrendous and barbaric acts will not achieve their goals, can never achieve their goals. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in this terrorised, or not, danger zone. My next program covers something you've probably never heard of or about before.